opportunity to share your word and make it applicable to our lives where we live at. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Did you know that Americans are increasingly concerned with purity? Americans are increasingly concerned with purity. Uh, we want pure water, right? Did you know that you can um, uh, buy and spend all kinds of money on water from bottles? But they've done all kinds of studies, and the water that you get in a typical bottle comes out of the faucet. It's true. It's really true. It comes out of the faucet. Not all the waters, but most of them come out of the faucet. Americans are concerned with purity, water purity. Americans are also concerned with food purity, and they're concerned with air purity. During the recent fire that we had over here, it was disconcerting to me because the fire kept coming closer and closer and closer. Evening was coming along. The airplane stopped their retardants. And all of a sudden, the seems like it lit up even more. And what was also disconcerting to me is that inside my house, I could hardly breathe. I had a sore throat from all of that air that uh, the fires were em emitting. And I just thank the Lord, as many of you, that when all of a sudden the rain started, it was providential. And the, the fires began to go down, and I could go to bed and sleep at night. It just took away all that smoke and took away all that fire. Thank the Lord for that. Did you know that uh, I read that there's a company that will, from ranging from $3,000 to $15,000, they'll come to your home and they will do an analysis of why your house smells and why you don't have pure air in your home. There's another, another article I read that Americans spend over a half a billion dollars, a half a billion dollars on air purifiers. Now, as important as air and water and pure food are, there's a sense of purity that Americans often overlook in their lives. And this is found in Matthew chapter 5, 8. Notice one more time, happy are the pure in heart. Circle this. This is what Jesus said. Happy. Remember, we, it's the old English word, blessed. It's translated as happy. Happy are the pure in heart for what? They will see God. When you have heart holiness, when you have a heart that's consecrated to God, you will see God work in your life and you will know God's presence in your life. That's a fact. This is what Jesus was saying. Now, what does pure in heart mean? It means to have unmixed motives. Remember, Jesus said, love God with all your heart, body, mind, and soul. Your motives are true. Your heart is true. The intention and the attitude you might want to say of your heart is devoted toward loving God with our heart, body, mind, and soul. You see, the Lord is concerned with why we do things as much as the things that we do, what we do. He's concerned with our motives. Matthew 6, 1, this is what Jesus said. He says, be careful. He said, be careful to parade your good deeds before others to attract their notice or you will lose all your reward from your Father in heaven. Is it possible to do good things with the wrong motives? Absolutely. Absolutely it is. Sure it is. It's possible to be outwardly religious but not have a pure heart and not have pure motives. And Jesus is saying happiness comes when on the outside and the inside when those both match up, you might want to say. 
unmixed motives. And remember the first evening that I was with you, I talked about the golf ball. I went golfing this last week with Lynn Nicholson. I'm not a golfer. I try to make sure the golf ball goes straight down the fairway, but it always goes left, it goes right, it goes everywhere I don't want it to go. I don't know why that is. I'm just not a good golfer. That's that's I guess the bottom line. I tell you that just not very good. But it's fun to go out there, and I'm I'm with fellowship. I'm having fellowship. I'm out there driving that golf ball. But did you know that inside of a golf ball there's a white cover, and then there's a string, and then it's wrapped around a black ball that's about the size of a quarter. I know because I opened up a golf ball one time. And when you have that, when you have that. Uh, black ball and you have that string wrapped around it and you have that white cover on the top of it and you hit that golf ball, it drives straight. But when that's not all there, the golf ball goes all over the place. And the idea speaking here, blessed are the pure in heart, it always goes back to consecration, who is the Lord of your life, love God with our heart, body, mind, and soul. And Jesus indicates that Everything will be added unto you. We're going to look at that particular passage in just a moment that follows the Beatitudes. But when the, when, the, when the heart is right, everything else follows. You understand? Everything else follows when the heart is right. And this is what Jesus was focusing on. Blessed are the pure in heart. Now, there are three steps to have a pure heart. First of all, I don't think people understand this because if they understood this as much as Scripture says, they might may seek after a pure heart more than they do. But remember what? Number one, that God sees everything. God sees everything. He sees everything. And the key phrase is found in Matthew 6. Your Father sees what is done in secret. And nothing is a secret from God. Nothing is ever a surprise to Him. Does it bother you knowing that there are no secrets from God? No secrets. There's a lot of secrets that, uh, that I, in my past I like to, nobody would ever like to know about it, but God knew about it. And God says He knows uh, all about us. And a lot of people think that they're fooling God. And we often have the devil saying, go ahead and do it, nobody will know about it. But God knows about it. God knows about it. In fact, look at that particular passage of Scripture. It says, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered before the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. Now, here's the idea. If God already knows everything, I might as well have a pure heart. I might as well have a pure heart than try to fake it. In other words, it is a motive for me to have a pure heart. It is a motivation to be a consecrated Christian. Because I know that God knows everything. And if God knows everything about me, I might as well come clean before Him and uh, live a holy life. Remember Jonah in the, in the Old Testament. The Bible says that Jonah tried to escape from God. Remember? God said, I want you to go to Ninevites. I want you to preach to the Ninevites. I want you to preach to those terrible people. And he hated the Ninevites. Jonah did. He said, they're terrible. They're awful people. And they were terrible. And they were awful. They did terrible and terrible things to the people that they captured. All kinds of torture. They, they killed babies. And they killed innocent children. And they did all these terrible things. And God said, I want you to go to the Ninevites. And I want you to preach to them. And Jonah said, I hate the Ninevites. I'm not going to do what you want me to do. And I'm going to escape from you. And he boards a ship. And he head, he's headed toward Tar- Tarshish, which is modern day Spain. He's trying to get away from God. And yet God creates a storm. Helps create it. 
and the sailors are afraid and scared, and they said, what's going on here? And Jonah said, it's because of me. I'm trying to escape my God. And they threw him overboard in the water. And here he is sinking into the deep water. He, th- he thinks he's getting away from God, and a well or a fish swallows him. He cannot escape God. He can't escape God. So I have to remember that God sees everything and I cannot escape Him. Why try to fake it? I may fool other people, but I cannot fake fake God out. And that's the amazing thing about it is, is that it, 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 there, there's three steps to have a pure heart. Remember that God sees everything. And number two, review my motives. Review my motives. You know, I have to do an honest evaluation of where I am in my life and why am I doing what I'm doing. Proverbs 24, 21 God knows and judges your motives. He keeps watch over you. He knows. He rewards you according to what you do. Circle the word motive and circle the word rewards. God says our reward is based on not just what we do, but why we do it. And notice in Matthew 6, Jesus gives three examples of this. He uses prayer, prayer, and uses giving, and uses fasting. Three good things that you can do, but you also can do them in the wrong way. And notice giving. Matthew 6.2. This is all found in Matthew 6. Matthew 6.2. This is Jesus speaking. Notice, when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do. Imagine we're taking the offering on Sunday morning. The usher comes around to your place, my place, or whatever it may be. And what do I do? I pull out a trumpet, and I play like Louis Armstrong when the saints go marching in. And I give my $2, and I say, yes, I've given my money today, and I need your accolades. And this is what Jesus was saying. He's saying, listen, don't do that. He says, when you give, you shouldn't be give, give in order to be seen by other people. There's nothing wrong with memorials, but there are people who... Uh, who, who, uh, who um, there's nothing wrong... Well, let me just back up a little, little bit. Have you ever been in a church where the church furnishings in that church had a name on it? Seats, hymnals, everything. And there's nothing wrong with memorials, but those people were all alive. Everything at this particular church that I heard about, everybody was alive and not dead. (laughs) And their name was on the pew and their name was in the hymnal. When you give to the needy, this is what Jesus said, don't let let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be done in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Don't even talk to yourself when you give, in other words. So you have to review the motives, and especially when it comes to these particular areas, and Jesus mentioned three of them, giving. And the second area that he talks about is praying. And look at verse 5 with me. Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. He says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. They love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they will receive their reward in full. And have you ever heard anybody pray a prayer to the church, not to God? Pray a prayer uh, to the galleries, you might want to say. Pray a prayer... Uh, that it's a real flowery prayer. And, 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 and when they're finished, you want to say, wow, and you feel like clapping. And God says, when they pray to the galleries and they don't pray to me, they'll have their reward. And people will say, wow, and they'll get pat on the back. 
But when you pray, he says, pray to me. Don't pray so that you can get attention drawn to yourself and be, get a pat on the back. And uh, have you ever heard anybody uh, pray and remind God of something he already knows to tell other people who's listening? You know what I'm trying to say? Pastors do this sometimes. Lord, help us to help the folks around us. He's praying this prayer. Lord, help the folks to remember that Thursday night is a committee meeting at 7 o'clock at Mary's house. Or have you ever given somebody a pat on the back when you're praying? Lord, uh, uh, thank you for the 15 people I witnessed to this week. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, or thank you, Lord, that I read through the entire book of the Bible this month, or you know, the the whole Bible this month. Jesus says you have your reward. You get patted on the back by people, but you won't get your reward from from our Father in heaven. And then the third area is fasting. I want you to look at verse 16. This is what Jesus said. He said, when you fast, don't go around looking as the hypocrites with a sad face. Uh, so someone will ask you, you're fasting. He says, wash your face, put on, put on oil on your head, so it won't be obvious to men that you're fasting. And the Pharisees and Sadducees were notorious about this. They would stand on the street corners, and they would like look like death warmed over. Because they had been fasting and they wanted to be seen by men. And did you know that the Pharisees, they even wore special uh, special tassels and they wore these special kinds of robes just to let people know that they were special. And these guys were real notorious about it. And, uh, you know, and, and so these partic- three particular areas, uh, what's the point that Jesus is talking about? He says when you're giving and praying and you're fasting, don't be like the hypocrites. The people get patted on the back because of the thing they do. The point is, here's the point, the point of a pure heart is that you keep it a secret when you're serving the Lord as much as possible and when you do good, when you do good, you keep it a secret. If not, if you want the praise of men more than the praise of God, then what's the heart motive? The motive is you're not trying to serve the Lord, you're trying to get accolades from other people. Oh, I worked so hard this week, and I ministered to others so much, and I'm just, I'm just dead tired on my feet. Um, the opposite of being pure in heart is being a hypocrite, and that's what Jesus has said. He said the Pharisees loved the praise of men more than the praise of God, and that's what they got. Look at First Thessalonians chapter two, verse four. We do not aim. This is Paul speaking to the Thessalonica church. We do not aim to please others, but to please God, who knows us through and through. Who do we want to please more? People are God. What's our motive? Remember that God sees everything and remember my motives. And so see what it is that, that you get. And um, uh, well, I, I like to say this. I like to say it this way. We should live our lives, not necessarily to please other people, although we have to live with people and we, we, we're married and we want to try to please our spouse, but the bottom line is we should live our life for an audience of one. An audience of one. And that's the Lord. He, he knows what we're doing. He knows our motives. He knows our heart. So why not just give them all our heart? 
The third key to heart purity is to realign my priorities if I want a pure heart, pure, be pure in heart. I want you to notice Exodus 20, verse 3. Look at that commandment. Look at it with me. What does it say? You shall have no other gods before me. And this is what the Lord's saying. He says, I want first place in your life. I want first place in your life. First place above all other relationships, above all other loyalties, above all other gods. He says, I want first place in your life. First place, not second place, not third place. He says, no other gods before me. No other gods. God says, I don't play second fiddle to anybody. Whether it's our career, our husband, our wife, anything else, God is to be first place. And yet, you know it and I know it, that it, our culture is just like such a vacuum that sucks other things, uh, that commitment to the Lord, uh, away from us. And pretty soon... It becomes uh, other people, other relationships. It can become our career. It can become our hobbies. It can become our interests. It, it, it just, it's just so easy to happen in our culture and in our world today. It just is so easy for it to happen. And it, it can be very, very subtle. How many of you remember the illustration years ago that George Barna shared and talked about and it became well, well, a well-known illustration? Remember the frog in the kettle. A frog can set in a kettle, and that kettle can be heated up gradually, so much so that the frog does not realize when it's actually being boiled to death, if you can believe that. And in our pervasive culture, people can be influenced so much by things around them that they don't really understand how far they're drifting away from their commitment to the Lord. They just don't understand that. And they don't have a clue about that. And it happens so much in our culture. There's so many things that can get us away. You know, we, 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 want, uh, we want things and we want happiness and there's nothing wrong with things or nothing wrong with happiness. And we want relationships and we want a career and whatever it may be. But remember, nothing is to take the first place of God. Exodus 20, one more time, verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. Well, how do I know what my priorities are? There Here are three tests. Now, everybody can say Jesus is the Lord of their life, but here are three tests, okay? There are three tests. These are time-proven tests. They're biblical. They're not my ideas. This is what the Bible says. Look at my activities, number one. Look at my activities. Where do I invest my time and where do I invest my money? The Bible says, Jesus, the, the Scripture says, do not pile up your treasures on earth, but keep your treasures in heaven, for where your treasure is, there your heart will go also. Now, there's nothing wrong, again, there's nothing wrong with having finances, uh, financial uh, security. There's nothing wrong with having money. There's nothing wrong with having nice things. But he says, listen, you, God's got to be number one in your finances, where I invest my activities, my, 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 my time. Now, this is what I say. I can ask, what is first place in your life? And you will answer, the Lord Jesus Christ is first place in my life. But if I were to look at your checking book and your appointment book, the activities, where you spend your money and how you spend your time, do those things match up? 
do those things match up? Regardless of what we say is first place, where we spend our time and money determines who is first place. And that's why the purpose of tithing is so important. Because specifically in the Old Testament it says, tithing is to teach us to put God first in our lives. To put Him first. This, a steward is a person that, it, that manages all of God's resources. The first part of every day, the first part of my money, the first part of every week goes to God. The very first part. So, am I spending time in worship on a regular basis? Am I spending time in worship on a regular basis? Am I spending time with other Christian people? Do I have time to have a still, a still time in a safe place? A time of devotion every morning? You say, Pastor Ron, that sounds very, very legalistic when you begin to use the narrow parameters. Well, what does it say? It says, worship God alone and have no other gods. Do I take, uh, do I really put that in, into practice in my life? Do I put him first in every single area? Relationship? Do I take time to worship him? Do I, do I, do I give him first place? Do I give 10% of my money back to the Lord? On my appointment book and my checking book. Number two, look at my anxieties. Look at my anxieties. You say, what are you talking about? What do I worry about the most? What do I worry about the most? You can tell awful lot about a person what they worry about. Did you know that? Let me say that again. You can tell, you can tell awful lot about people about what they worry about. You can, tell, you can tell an awful lot about people what they worry about. Matthew 6:25. this is what Jesus said. Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life. Philippians, worry about nothing. Pray about everything. If you go through all of Matthew chapter 6, there are the five most common worries in this passage. Did you know that? Jesus highlights the five most common worries of people. He hits almost every single one of them that people are often consumed with. You know what they are? Here they are, right here. The five most common worries found in Matthew chapter 6. Verse 24 Finances. Finances. I get up in the morning thinking about money. I go to bed at night thinking about money. Finances. And that may not be your worry. He said, I'll provide for you the basic necessities of life and sometimes your wants to. If you put Him first, it's a promise. If you put Him first, He'll provide for your basic necessities of life all your financial needs, and sometimes your wants. Finances. What are you worried about finances? Verse 25, food. Food. That's not our worry here in America, is it? But that's a worry in the third world countries, believe me. Christian people worry about food. Verse 27, fitness. Fitness, health. Fitness, health. Verse 28, fashion, clothes. Yeah, people worry about what they wear, their clothes. They do. They're consumed. Some people with clothes. And number verse 34, their future. Their future. I'm so consumed with worry about the future. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, much less next week, much less next month, much less next year. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Tomorrow hasn't happened yet. All we can live is what? One day at a time. It's so hard though. Because I am worried about tomorrow. It doesn't mean I don't make plans. It doesn't mean I don't make goals. But I can get so consumed with tomorrow that I don't live today. Tomorrow. 
And if you're worrying about any of these things, it just means that you often have, not always, but often we have misplaced priorities. Check your anxieties. Where he says, God, I think I'm in charge here. I'm in control of my destiny. I'm in control of the universe. And the Bible says, check out. You can let God be in control again. The Bible says, don't worry about clothes. God says, check out these things to see if your motives are right. And then number three, we're talking about how do I know what my priorities are? How do I know if my heart is right with the Lord? How do I know if I have a pure heart? How do I know if I have a consecrated heart? Using all those descriptive words, how do I know that, the, that Jesus is the Lord of my life? Number three, you look at, look at my ambitions. Look at your ambitions. My goals reveal the direction of my heart. What is the number one goal of my life? What is the number one goal of my life? And what is the number one ambition of my life? What's the most important thing to me? That may be what is my God. Matthew 6, 31 and 33. Jesus said, don't worry about these things. This is what? This is what the pagans are always looking for. Your heavenly Father knows you need Him. Instead, what? Set your heart first on His kingdom and His goodness, and all these things will come to you as a matter of course. This little phrase says, always looking for. That's the ambition. That's the ambition. Don't always be looking for what everybody else is looking for. What do most unbelievers... What are, they, what are they looking for? There should be a difference between what I'm looking for and my ambitions and what's happening in the world that we live in. Unfortunately, when, they, when that's not true, when, they're looking for the, when we have the same ambitions as the world, our culture, as a result, there is tension and there's stress and there's headaches, the same problems and tensions that the unworld, that the worldly people face and have in their lives. So look at my ambitions. Jesus says, happy are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Now, this is what pure in heart means, I think. Here's a good definition. This is what pure in heart means. First of all, it's very simple. We try to make it a lot harder than it is. Blessed are the pure in heart, for what? They shall see God. You're aware of God working in your situation. I'll even take it one step further and I'll say this. We're aware of God's presence. Now I'm hesitant to use that phraseology because people have different definitions of God's presence. But we're aware that God is working in our life for our good on our behalf. I'm conscious of God. I'm conscious of Him. And, And I think this is the mark of maturity. The more mature you are, the, the, the more your conscience of God, that God's with you all the time, and less conscious of the other people around you. Uh, an immature person, when they, when they pray, they're more worried about people around them than, than about pleasing God. Uh, and the desire of a Christian heart is to, is to please God. 
Um, and and when I, I I don't know how else to say it, but when you when you when you're conscious of God in your life, and you you have a desire to please the Lord, it's like you don't want to do things consciously or willfully that you know that would displease Him. Does that make sense to 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 you folks? And 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 uh, my desire is to please Him. Um, but when you don't, you're aware of it. And you, you, you confess it when you displease Him. And, and because you want to get back to that being aware of Him in your life and working in your situation. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm consciously aware of God's presence. Number two, I think a pure in heart person is, is content with God's praise is content with God's praise. That makes sense because this is what Jesus has been talking about. He says, don't pray and don't fast and don't give to be seen by men. And so a pure heart person is content with God's praise. He says, I want the reward of God more than the reward of men. I want the reward of God more than the reward of man. And the people who are the biggest givers are, are usually are not the most show-offy. Does that make sense, show-offy? Uh, in Matthew 6, 2, the people who are showing off with their religious deeds, they have their reward. What's their reward when you show off and do religious deeds? You get pats on the back by, by people around you. But the reward in heaven is what we're after, should be after. God will reward you. Now, number three here, we're talking about um, pure in heart, what pure in heart means. I think it also means a pure in heart person is, again, controlled by God's priorities. Controlled by God's priorities. He or she has his heart set on what God says is important. Now, what is the result of this? What's the result? If I start trying to be honest and a transparent person of in, with integrity, with unmixed motive, what's the result? What's the result? Happiness. Happiness is the result. Happy, what does Jesus say? Remember, blessed is the interchange with the word happy. Happy are what? The pure in heart. For they will be aware of God working in their life and in their situation. Not that, not that everything goes according to your plans and everything goes according to, uh, where you're not having any more trials and difficulties, but even in the midst of the trials and difficulties, you're aware that God's right there with you, uh, walking beside you. And, um, and notice again, Number two, the result is they will see God. They will see God. And so the result of having an unmixed motive of living for God, no matter what it, what it is, you get to see God working your life and your, and your circumstances that way. Um, and if I can say it this way, everything... Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things that the world worries about and that we're often consumed about will follow us, will come to us. Um, I was watching a Hallmark Hall of Fame movie. It was the second in the series to Sarah Tall and Plain called... Um, Maverick, I think, 
Oh, Skylark, I'm sorry. <laughs> Difference between Maverick and Skylark. Skylark! Close. Yeah, it, it started Glenn Close. That was the lady's name. And uh, Christopher Watkin. I had seen it a long time. But they have a drought on their farm. Terrible drought. One of those once in a hundred year droughts, you know, like we're supposed to get a flood once every hundred years. That did only happen four or five years ago, three years ago, here in John Day. But they have this terrible, terrible drought. And their crops are dying, turning to just nothing. And there are fires that are just happening all around them because everything's so dry. And they get up in the middle of the night and their barn is burning. Seems to be the last straw. And the little boy, uh, he puts a glass outside because somebody told him that this is what they did to measure rainfall back in the New, New England state of Maine where uh, Sarah's from. And so he puts this little glass up there outside and it's a step of faith. They're believing. They're trusting. They're trying to put God first in what they're doing and what they're endeavoring to do. And they're praying for rain and praying for rain and they go through all these catastrophes and all these fires and all these things. And finally, it rains. And there's a downpour. And when I saw that particular scene, I I thought how true it is in our lives. You know, we can get discombobulated. You ever heard that word, discombobulated? You get off track because of the worries of the world or your ambitions or goals are just a little bit not Christ-centered or whatever it may be. you, you you just get a little discombobulated and this this thing's pulling you this way and this thing's pulling you that way, whatever it may be. And all of a sudden, you get reorientated. You get reorientated to the priorities of God. And all those things that we worry about and consume with, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. The basic necessities of life, food, water, shelter, the finances. God will give us grace and sustain us and help us with all the things we have. Let's pray together. Would you bow your heads with me? Well, every head is bowed. Would you just bow your heads, please? Uh, I'd like for us to do a spiritual heart checkup. What's the condition of your heart? Now, some of you may have a broken heart and it's hurting. Or some of us may have a hard heart. This is what the Bible says. There might be even bitterness and resentment. I don't know. Uh, And then perhaps you have a divided heart. Like the old saying says, you're trying to serve God one way on Sunday and the devil on Monday. Or you're trying to please many different people. Isn't it time that, if that's the case, that we reorientate our hearts for the Lord and um, and just be real honest before God? Would you follow me in this simple prayer? Father in heaven,
Just pray it to yourself. Help me to be more aware of your presence and to realize that you're everywhere and you can see everything. Father in heaven, thank you for loving me even though you know me completely. You know all my warts. You know all my failures. You know every single thing I've ever done. There are no locked doors with you. There are no secrets. Just say to him, there are no secrets. You know every thought that has ever crossed my mind, every jealousy, every envy, lust, thought of murder, suicide, fear, depression, every wrong thought. You've seen it all. He has. It's hard to believe that you love me, but you say you do over and over again in your word. And Lord, I want a new heart. I want a pure heart. Like David, I ask you that you would create in me a clean heart, a new heart. Lord, create in me a clean heart, a new heart, filled with clean thoughts and right desires. I want to, just say to him, I want to realign my priorities with you, Jesus. I want to put you first in my life. I do, Lord. You said if I set my heart first on you, then all of these other things will come to me as a matter of course. Help me to prioritize my life. Become the center of my life, Lord. I don't want any other gods. I don't want any other relationships. I don't want any other priorities, any other ambitions before you. Lord, I want to love you with all of my heart, to say to him, with all my heart, body, mind, and soul. Lord, I thank you for your word. Thank you that you give us these prescriptions for happiness. I pray today that you give us a new heart transplant, a spiritual awakening, a new beginning, a chance to start over, to let go of the past failures, faults, and fears, and to look, with to, look to you with a new life. Thank you, Jesus. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Yes, that would be a nice song to sing, conclude. Create in me a clean heart.